Thanks to these musicians this morning. They do a great job. And they work very hard and they carry us so far. So thanks, thanks, thanks be to God and thanks to them. The scripture this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 20 through 32. I invite you to turn there with me and uh, I invite you to... Uh, see the words on the screen or look in your Bibles, and I invite you to stand as we hear the word of the Lord. Now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. The crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Messiah remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Jesus said to them, The light is with you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, so that the darkness may not overtake you. If you walk in darkness, you do not know where you're going. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become children of light. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. So perhaps you are watching the NCAA basketball tournaments. Auburn will be in that uh, tournament this afternoon. And there have been some notable games already, a couple of things that have happened that were surprising. In Division I, the Connecticut women keep rolling along and understand that they defeated one of their opponents by 88 points recently. And then the big upset, of course, was the University of Maryland, Baltimore, that defeated the number one Virginia Cavaliers. These are all just glimpses of glory along the way. But the glory that will not fade, at least for several months, is reserved for the team that wins it all. And that is the glory of achievement. It is the glory of overcoming all the obstacles, all the competition. It is the glory of attention given to that achievement. It is the glory of representing the schools, the coaches, the alumni, the parents who support them, representing them all as winners. It is the glory that reveals individual players and teams as champions. And that kind of glory is reserved for a very few. 
And it exists when someone does something extraordinary. When someone or a team does something that awakens praise, admiration, devotion. In today's gospel, Jesus appears to be on the verge of achieving such glory. Some Greeks come looking for Jesus. They send word that they want to see Jesus. The appearance of these Gentiles is a significant moment. It means that Jesus' reputation is reaching beyond the Hebrew community. Jesus, of course, was a Jew, and most of his disciples were Jews. Most of his followers were Jews. But here were some who were not Jews. And they represented a great culture. The Greek culture was itself a glorious culture that gave rise to great philosophers, great teachers, great statesmen, great warriors and athletes. So to be recognized by the Greeks was no small matter. It is as if the Jesus movement were about to break out, to go big, to go global. And Jesus responds to the inquiry of these Greeks by saying, now is the hour for the Son of Man to be glorified. And that sounds right, doesn't it? We're about to break out of this Hebrew community. We're about to get out into the global community. We're about to go beyond the limits of where we've been. Those words would seem to be in order. But the puzzling thing is what Jesus says next. Rather than reveling in the glory of this uh, moment of being sought out by another culture, rather than reveling in the glory of what appears to be the imminent breakout of his movement, Jesus begins to talk about dying. And he says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world keep it for eternal life. And then Jesus goes on to admit that he is troubled by the prospect of his dying. And he says to the Father, if it be possible, Lord, I, 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 do, not, I do not want this if there is some other way. And yet he prays that whatever it takes, his father will be glorified. And the father speaks, assuring Jesus that the father is glorified and will be glorified. And Jesus finally declares that it will be in his being lifted up on a cross. It will be from that scandalous place that he will draw people of all ages, nations, and races to himself. It is glory in dying, but not dying as a hero leading thousands to victory, but it will be dying as a condemned man on a shameful instrument of execution. Where is the glory in this? It is hardly what the Greeks were looking for. It is hardly what his disciples expected. It is hardly what we think of when we think of glory, is it? To die as a criminal, to die alone, to die a tortured death. In his book, The Deeper Journey, Bob Mulholland pointed out that in the New Testament, the word for glory really refers to essence. 
especially when that word is used of God. The glory of God, according to Dr. Mulholland, is the essence of God. It is the character of God. It is the true nature of God. So that when we say that God is glorified, what we are really saying is that God's true nature is made known. That God's essence is somehow revealed. The truest nature of God And Jesus says that that nature is to be revealed in his death and in his resurrection. Jesus' death and resurrection reveal God's true nature by what they put to death and by what they bring to life. Jesus puts to death any notion that evil evil has no consequences. Jesus' death on the cross is the consequence of all the evil committed by all the people who've ever lived and who ever will live in this world. His death puts to death any illusion that any of us might have that we are without sin. For we are all responsible for his death. His death and his resurrection put to death The thought that human power brings greatness. Because Jesus dies in and is raised from absolute vulnerability. His death and his resurrection put to death the fear that God's real desire is somehow to condemn and to punish us. Jesus dies and is raised not that we be condemned, but that we be saved. It is for our salvation. Jesus' death and resurrection puts to death any possibility that sin and death will win the day. Jesus dies and is raised from death and that proves God's love for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven people. Glory to God. Amen. Jesus' death and resurrection brings to life the true nature of forgiveness. Brings to light the true nature of love. Jesus' death and resurrection brings to life the true nature of God as pure, unbounded love. In these ways, God is glorified. God's nature is revealed in his death and resurrection. God's essence is made known. It is the glory of God made known and the outpouring of love for us all. It is not only the glory of God that is revealed there, but also by the grace of God, it is the glory of our lives that is revealed there. When Jesus speaks of a grain dying in order to become fruitful, he refers, of course, to himself, to his death and to his resurrection, but he refers also to us. For we die with him, we die in him, and we are raised to life by him. We are raised to life in him. 
When Jesus says that those who hate their life in this world save their life for eternal life, he doesn't mean that we hate the life that God has given us in this world, but rather we hate what we allow the world to do to us. We hate what a world apart from God does to our lives. We hate the distortions. We hate the deceptions. We hate the misplaced loyalties and the misplaced longings. We acknowledge that in order to truly live, we must die to certain things and we must be raised to new life in and by Christ. Thomas Merton taught many years ago that we human beings have multiple selves. There is the true self. It is the self that is created in God's image. It is the self that was created before we were born. It is the self that knows love. It is the self that lives in grace. It is the self of our potential. It is the self that we can become by God's grace, in God's grace. It is the self that is in Christ. That is our true self. That is who we really are. That is the very one God made us to be. But the false self, said Merton, is the self that is based on things other than Christ. The false self is the self that depends upon what we do, what we know, what we have. It is the self that is defined by any number of things other than Christ. The self that identifies with education, with employment, with wealth, with power, with influence, with popularity, with race, with nationality, with any number of things other than Christ. It is the self that depends on how well we do physically, socially, economically. And Merton taught that dying to the false self is necessary so that the true self can come forth in Christ. In his book, The Deeper Journey, Bob Mulholland elaborated on Merton's insights into the false and true self. Mulholland noted that because the false self is dependent upon what we can do and because we will always fail in the end, the, the false self is a fearful self. The false self is insecure and unstable because it depends upon our will and our power. The false self is angry, selfish, manipulative. It is nitpicking, discriminating, critical of others. And Mulholland went on to say that the worst form of the false self is what he calls the religious false self. The religious false self is all wrapped up in a religion that has God in a box. And the God of the religious false self is a God created in our image. The projection of our fears, anger, self-centeredness. And the box in which we put our self-made God is a box that has walls of rigid judgmentalism against everyone who's not like us. Dr. Mulholland used to say, that the religious false self is concerned with my God 
concerned with my beliefs, my church, my preferences in all things religious. The religious false self, like all manifestations of the false self, must die in order that the true self, the essential self that is in Christ, may come to life and may prosper. We see this pattern in St. Paul. In Philippians 3, 4 through 12, Paul says, If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more confidence. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. In other words, Paul is saying, I have all the credentials that a religious person could possibly want. I have attained it all. I am a person of great standing religiously. Yet, he says, whatever gains I had, I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as lost because of the surpassing knowledge, the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish. And that word rubbish, um, well, it is literally dung. I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that if somehow I might attain the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already obtained this or am, have already reached the goal, am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Here is the classic Example of the death of the false religious self and the true self coming to life in Jesus. Paul recognizes that at the very basis of it all is the fact that Christ has made him his own. Not that he first chose Christ, but that Christ first chose him. And that in the unfolding of his life, as he becomes more and more the person that God made him to be, Paul realizes that he will be one in whom and through whom the glory of God is revealed. The true self is the self that Christ makes his own. It is that part of you It is that quality that you have, that I have, that when Christ looks at that, he sees himself. It is the self that dies in Christ. It is the self that is raised in Christ to new and true life. Sisters and brothers, this is the glory of our life. This is who we really are. And everything else is secondary to this.
This is our essence. And it is the glory of his life. Our becoming the very ones God made us to be is his glory. For it reveals who he is. He is revealed in and through us. You are the glory of God. Thanks be to God. And as we come to this table, we come as humble servants. We come as people who depend completely upon the gifts that are given here. We come confessing that we are not yet all that God has made us to be. That the old self, the false self, still lives and still must die. Must die every day. And that the new self, the true self, the self that is in Christ, is coming to life. With that, let us confess as we come to this table. Oh Lord, we confess that we are not yet all that you have made us to be. There is indeed, O oh Lord, a great distance between where we are now and where we will be when you are all in all. And yet, O oh Lord, by your grace, we are not what we were. We are going on, going on by your grace. And this table, this bread, this wine remind us of who we are because they remind us of who you are. Your glory revealed in death and in resurrection. Your glory revealed to us, for us, and in us. May it be so. We pray in the name of Christ who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 